Hey everyone, Joel here again. Um, before we start this next episode off, this is probably going to be the last one I do for a little bit, at least for like a couple of months, like a month or two, while I find more people to interview. Uh, this interview is pretty cool because this one was in a hashtag search. Um, back in March, I joined a network called Propel. And it's basically a network of people in corporate company, corporate companies doesn't make any sense. People working at companies, uh, people working in finance, people on the VC side, entrepreneurs. Um, it's just a network of individuals who join. You get access to a Slack channel. And it's basically people looking for just connections. It's nationwide. I want to say there's about 50 something members there. I may be undershooting, but it's called Propel. I think I found out about it through LinkedIn, but it's pretty cool. I've met a bunch of people who work in different industries, a bunch of people who are starting businesses, um, just doing a, a plethora of things. And when I got into this network, I reached out to people for potential Moonlighters clubs, Moonlighters clubs, excuse me, interviews. And I met uh, the founder of, at this point, I think it's still in stealth. But uh, uh, I met Jared from Pineapple AF, and we just started talking in the Slack channel. And I told him what the Moonlighters Club was about, what I do, what I'm trying to do with it. And he was telling me about his startup, and we decided to just set up an interview and go from there. So this interview was conducted. It is now, what month is it? July. I think I did this interview in May. No, probably before that, April. So uh, it was, you know, me still working at the startup that I just left, uh, the event startup I just left. So my days were pretty busy. So I had to find time like right after work to fit this in. Um, I had already scheduled another batch of interviews and I was pretty much just going crazy over this, this, that, this period, like this two to three week period of just interview at the interview at the interview, just batching them together. But this interview was like the tail end of all of that. Um, this, that means for 2021, I've interviewed around six people, you know, somewhere around here for the first half. So then for the second half of 2021, I think I'm going to have at least 15 lined up, if not more, um, the more the merrier. So this is a great interview. Um, it's another person following their passion. Um, uh, it's pretty cool because we talk about media, filmmaking, changing uh, your focuses in life professionally, you know, what you go to college for may not be what you end up working on or working with for the majority of your life sticking with things, teamwork, mentorship, all of that is hit on this. And it was someone who I had met through this network who I didn't know before, which was cool. And we had a really good conversation. So I hope you enjoy this. Um, I don't, yeah, what is it, July? I'm sure I'll have some interviews lined up for sure, first week of August, actually in person. But there will be plenty more coming. Um, this is one of those interviews that lets me know that I'm doing the right thing by just talking to people. So again, Joel Edwards here. Hope you enjoy it. I hope life is going well from you. I hope you're following your passion. I hope we're staying stress-free. And I hope we're having fun. Thanks again for listening and enjoy. off and get started uh hello everyone we're back with another 
episode of the Moonlighters Club. Your host, Joel Edwards, here in D.C., hot and humid. <laughs> but another episode. <laughs> it's almost summertime out here, so I'm just getting ready yeah. for a painful, humid, fun summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm really excited about this interview uh, a while back. Uh, actually, I don't know how long how long ago it was, but I signed up to be part of a network, uh, the Propel Network, which is awesome. And I was able to meet some awesome movers and shakers. And I'm only a month in and I'm meeting some really cool people. And uh, that's how I met this individual. Um, Jared, welcome to the show. Thank you for jumping on. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well today. I'm feeling that northeast humidity and uh, temperature rising. I need to get my air conditioning units in my apartment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was uh, my wife's from the south. I'm from the north. So when uh, we met in Boston. And her whole thing about not having central air used to just drive her crazy. Mm. Like the fact that we didn't just have centralized AC. I'm like, these houses are a thousand years old. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no AC totally. in Boston. <laughs> totally. um, so yeah, let's uh, let's just kick things off. Jared, where you where are you from originally? Well, speaking of, I'm actually from Dallas, Texas. So I don't know if listeners nice. would consider that the South, but I do. Uh, so I'm from Dallas, Texas originally, born and raised. Nice. I've been to Dallas once. I loved it, man. People were down on it. I, I loved it. I loved it. You must have gone in the last 10 years or so, because prior to that, it was yeah. not, not really much of a destination, <laughs> but it's definitely come a long way. It was. It was about three years okay. ago, I want to say. And I got to go to, got to see downtown, which definitely looks like the 1970s. So downtown <laughs> did. Uh, but I got to hang out in the, the what is it, the Arts mm-hmm. District? Uh, Bishop Arts District? And I got to hang out. Bishop yeah. Arts or Arts District. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Lockhart Barbecue, okay. best oh, person yeah. I've ever oh, had. Yeah. Uh, and then I got to hang out with Deep oh, Ellen, yeah. which I was in love with. Oh, man, that was yeah. You great. got the full experience. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. So, um, grew up in Dallas. Did you? Uh, were you there like your old childhood, high, high school, all that? Yeah, yeah. Um, born and raised there through high school. Uh, grew up in North Dallas. Uh, this uh, somebody I. St- I went on a date with recently told me for the first time in my life that she doesn't actually think I'm from Dallas. So I am uh, now <laughs> questioning my identity. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm from Dallas. I'm from an area in North Dallas and was there all through growing up and then through high school until I moved uh, to Los Angeles for college. Oh, where'd you go to, where did you go to school? I went to USC, the University of Southern California for film production. What? Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, um, uh, yeah, I heard USC's got a really good film program. They right? say it's the best in the world, if I may say so. Yeah, how'd you <laughs> like it? Um, I, I mean, to how to distill four years into, um, I had an amazing time at USC. Um, you know, I've always been very interested in all kinds of different subject matters, and so uh, at the behest of my mom, um, I went to USC rather than another film school, so that if I had my interests expand as they often did as a kid, I would be able to pursue other academic areas as well. And so I had a terrific time studying film production and neuroscience and, um, and a lot of Japanese language at USC and just got to, they, they really emphasize like clubs there, like extracurriculars. And so I actually founded an acapella group and got to do that and just did all kinds of stuff. Nice. At USC. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, that's that's something that people like anyone who's about to whoever's listening to this, if you're about to go to school or go back to school, the clubs totally 
so underrated in higher education. Like you just think about class, but you meet, you never know who you're going to meet. Oh, man. And the time you'll have. That's oh, pretty changed. cool. I mean, we, we were gigging out all over LA. Like it was a whole business that we ran, you know, while we were students. Nice. So like, maybe that was my first Moonlighter uh, experience, you know, being in college. But so you were booking shows. Yeah, we were booking shows. We went on tour. We, we like, we did high school tours in multiple parts of the country. We, we did shows for multiple hundreds of people that we sold tickets for, you know, we were all dressed up in suits with microphones for 600 people in an audience, you know, for an hour and a half show. Nice, man. What was the group's name? <laughs> it's called the Trojan Men. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. All right. How, uh, was it? Is like a quartet? No, it's it, all male acapella. There were anywhere from like, depending on the season, anywhere from seven to like fifteen of us. I'd say. Nice, man. That's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. So, got a little taste for it there. When you were done with school, did you have any idea what the next steps were? I just have. I've actually, it's funny. I've never been to Los Angeles. I've been to tons of places in California that aren't yeah, LA. Yeah. But I have friends, uh, actually the co-founder of this podcast, mm. um, my good friend, Sean moved to LA a few years ago to pursue acting. Oh, right, on. right. And I feel like everyone who, I, it just sounds scary to me, bro. It's <laughs> like, there's so many talented people I know that are like, yo, I do film, you know, the back yeah. end of it or the front yeah. end of it. And I'm just like, what do you do? So when you graduated, yeah. did you have an idea of, what you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I had a, you know, I got into film uh, when I was younger. Um, I, I actually got into programming when I was a kid, and then I got into film. Um, and so for like many years, I had this idea like of uh, creating a feature film, like a full length film, like you'd see in a theater. And um, and I was almost to the point that I like, you know. I think I might've even asked, but I was dreaming of like t saying to my parents, Hey, instead of sending me to college, how about if you're going to put any money towards college, why don't you just give me that to finance a feature film and kickstart my career? So I kind of had this vision of creating a full length film all throughout college. And so as I was coming to the close of it, I was um, starting to figure out how to produce a feature film and went off and, and did exactly that after graduate. Ah, so you got to I do did. it. Yeah. Oh, man. you got to, so what was that like? <laughs> like I, I, I have friends who've done like shorter films and things yeah. like that. Um, uh, uh, I'm just curious to hear this process. What was the film? To, uh, yeah. Yeah. How'd you get that yeah, done? Yeah. Well, that's, it's like, um, it's a whole story. Um, yeah. Well, I originally wanted to do a fiction feature film. That was kind of my original concept. But as I was getting towards the end of USC, I got, had gotten really into documentary and I became really interested in, how powerful reality itself could be and creating stories about reality itself rather than something fictional um, is kind of how I was thinking about it at the time anyway. And so um, I had made a short documentary, about a 16 and a half minute documentary with a film partner in my final semester and um, about uh, old people in LA at a retirement community out there. And I called her up after uh, graduating and I said, hey, I think we like did something real good there and we got the prowess to make a feature for happen. So would you be interested in doing a feature film on the same topic? Um, and so she was up for it. And, you know, um, I like, you know, I had been inspired to make a movie about old people because uh, I was having dinner. I was going into that final semester of USC looking for a topic to do this documentary that I knew I was going to make on. And I was having dinner with my grandmother in Texas at her retirement community. And this couple walked by holding hands and she goes, oh, get a room. And I was like, I was like, mama, 
are people still having sex here? She goes, oh, sure. It's like, really? She goes, oh, yeah. Just because you get old doesn't mean you have to lay down and die. And I was like, damn, okay. Like, I never really thought about that. So, you know, between that and a friend of hers who uh, had dementia, who was no longer there that evening, you know, her dementia had progressed to a point she could no longer function at this community for independent living seniors you know, it really impacted my grandmother. Like this was a close friend of hers. And I saw between these two things that there's like a whole emotional world at this age that I really hadn't considered. And so I decided to make a short documentary. We had a great experience. And so I pitched my, like I said, I pitched my film partner on doing a feature. And so we went and did that. And um, we did it back in Dallas, Texas. Back, Actually, my grandmother had been telling me for many years, like, you got to come film with me and my friends. It'd be just like the Golden Girls. And I was always like, yeah, yeah. But sure enough, you know, I wanted to do a feature film after I graduated. And, you know, I knew her and her friends were good characters and that's what mattered on screen. Um, and so we we pulled it off and we went and shot for four months in a retirement community in Texas and got 215 hours of footage. And I spent six months editing it or nine months editing it and did the whole festivals thing and distributed it, and licensed it for TV online, like, you know, did a ton of screenings. Like it was a whole it was a whole business, basically, that we made out of it. First of all, congratulations. There's, there's, so, there's so many people who want to do that exact mm. thing, right? Whether it's you know fiction or documentary <laughs> or whatever, but never get to the end. The fact that you got to the end is huge, man. That's, <laughs> and just hearing about the editing just gave me nightmares. Like I, I'm barely an editor. Like I can do a little bit here yeah. and there. I have podcast episodes, but editing matters so much, oh, man, especially to yeah. film. And when I see a finished film, I'm like, damn, I must have sucked to sit in that room, <laughs> just kind of like you piece it together. But it's so it really, worth it. well, so yeah, it really did. And I had to learn a lot about how to motivate myself because I was starting to. It was very daunting. I mean, 215 hours of footage is is uh, <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> to stare down and be like, oh crap, I have to make a 90 minute movie out of this, you know? Like, um, and it could take so many millions of permutations to get there, right? So um, that's a whole story, right? But uh, I ended up, you know. Yeah, like pulled in resources and kind of started making real deadlines for myself, uh, kind of taking stock of how I knew I would be motivated to get this thing done and, and, you know, got it done. So it was, but it was quite a intimidating thing to do, frankly. So, yeah. So when that's done, did you immediately think to do more films? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Once you get something like that, a big project like that is done. What 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 are your sights set on next normally? Well, I originally thought that that was going to turn into like that. That would be a big stepping stone in my career, like that maybe other people would start to hire me to, to direct, you know, documentaries or something like that or commercials. Um, but while I was editing it and starting to uh, wrap up post-production and start to submit to festivals and think about distribution more hands on, um, I also had a uh, ex-girlfriend who was a very talented artist from college and she had put her artwork on Facebook and it was really beautiful. And I thought, wow, you know, uh, Cecilia is her name. You really have to share this with the world. I think that this is like powerful art and I think people would appreciate it. And she was like, well, I don't really know how to put up a website. And I said, well, but you should. And she was like, can you do it for me? So I, I put up a website for her, long story short, and her artwork ended up going viral online. Um, and this is pre Instagram. So there was no such thing if you can imagine for all the listeners out there. <laughs> um, but 
what ended up happening is we put an email on the website and we started getting inquiries from all over the world for her art, like whether to buy it or to license it or to make it into advertising or, or what ex- exhibitions, you know, whatever. So I just kind of, kind of started trying to tame that fire hose however I could, you know, just figure out what, what kind of business can I make out of this? And so that ended up turning into what I did next. Uh, you know, like I started distributing my film. I saw where that took me and my film was called the mayor, by the way. So I just kind of distributed the, the mayor, started going to screenings. I started managing Cecilia's art and, and like sales and distribution of that and production um, and seeing where that took me. And then at the same time, I started directing and dramaturging is what it's called, like guiding the writing process of these full length uh, plays, like autobiographical plays, like one person shows in LA. And so I started dramaturging okay. and directing those. And so between those three things, I had a lot on my hands. Um, and that's kind of how I was making a, a living and trying to piece it together for a few years and kind of see where those took me, basically. Okay. So uh, how hard was it managing the three? Um, it, <laughs> it, you know, in like for it was pretty cool, actually. I mean, it's it was a lot. Um, and I didn't have like the discipline or the training to like really. Uh, I mean, I was young, you know, I was 22 or 23. And so um, very independent minded, like trying to just do it all on my own kind of thing and didn't hadn't worked uh, in like a corporate setting. And so I didn't really have like any training of like how to run a business. Um, so I was like having to figure all that out simultaneously to the best of my ability. And it was a lot. I mean, it was, I was working a lot and, uh, but it was all very exciting. You know, I felt like I was having some kind of impact and these things had a lot of potential and, you know, audiences and people were seeing whether it's the art or the plays or the movie. So it's rewarding in that sense. I really got to feel the, the audience, I guess, you know, the buyer, if you will. Um, and, but, and what I started to find was that like, you know, the stuff with Cecilia's art would kind of have a drier spell for a month and I could shift focus to the mayor or the mayor wouldn't have some a festival or screenings or licensing deals in the works. So I would shift focus to Cecilia's art or the theater. So I kind of started to see that I could shift gears and kind of play with all three while not treating them all as full time, basically. So it kind of worked out, but it was, it was still a lot of work. Yeah. Um, what did you have, uh, Cause like juggling projects is weird to me. I I, I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I emotionally, you'll just wake up feeling different about one. Sometimes it's reactionary. You're like, all right, well, this is, you know, so I move over to this cause this mm-hmm. is happening right now. But sometimes it's emotional with me where I'm like, yeah, I just feel like doing this one more than the totally. other day or for a couple of weeks. Um, did you have an end goal in mind for all of them or like separate ones? Like, okay, I'll stop this if this one gets to X or I'll stop this when this gets to Y or were you just kind of letting it go? <laughs> I was letting it go. I, I believed um, idealistically at that time, you know, that I, I thought in particular that Cecilia's art could be really big. Um, it, you know, it was about our, it, it, I mean, if you go to ceciliaweberart.com, you can see it, but it's, it's, um, it's like this beautiful art that sh- really captures your attention it's like these beautiful flowers and butterflies and and insects and um creatures and when you look closely i don't really want to give it away but you know when you look closely you see that they're all made up of naked people and so it really kind of had this um connection between nature and humanity and it had a kind of environmental mission and so 
both of those really resonated with me, kind of like sex positivity and kind of reducing body shame, you know, in society, all those things, I really believed in them. And so, and I thought, you know, given like the impact or kind of not impact, but traction it was getting, I felt like it was really my rocket ship to, to run into the ground in a way. And so I saw, I thought it would really take me to some crazy heights. And so I really pursued it. So I kind of, um, I still had machinations of doing other film projects of my own, but I also came to the recognition that all of these projects were such big undertakings to begin with that I like should really carry them to their end in some sense before starting to create other stuff, I guess. Um, but like I did end up directing a commercial and entering into this like social media contest, uh, that I won and that started taking me places too. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more of like a, I've never been historically anyway, this is something I've had to like learn as a skill and get much better at, but historically I've been more of like a go with the flow, like have ambitions and create things, but kind of like let them take me where they will rather than like saying, okay, my life has to look this way and then I'm going to do this next step and whatever, you know? Um, yeah. There's so much yeah. like activity and business coming from these things that it was clear to me that there was plenty that would kind of, I could, that would occupy me and potentially make money from and, and like kind of distribute it for a couple of years there. It seemed like. Nice. So that commercial came while you were doing this other stuff. You're just working and then yeah. the opportunity, I assume, must have came through the work you're doing. Well, right? the, okay. So to be clear, the commercial was a, a contest. So I produced it and financed it, but it was a, it was ah. a contest that I thought would lead to other opportunities. Um, and it was, uh, and it was this like national contest by the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science, which I was at that time, and I'm, I don't describe myself this way anymore, but I, I considered myself like an evangelical atheist, okay? Um, and so <laughs> I was like really interested in that general sub pocket of culture and like secularism. And so I directed this very inclusive, very affirmative commercial that everybody was like, there's no way that this came from Richard Dawkins, which was about like, you know, I'm a Christian American and I believe in a secular America and I'm a spiritual American and I believe in a secular America for these reasons. And just a very like, it was like that. And so I, you know, the contest, the prize was to like have dinner with him in DC and go to this reason rally in, in Washington, DC uh, on the national mall. And um, I thought that that would turn into me like directing f commercials for like the secularist movement basically. Um, but I ended up, <laughs> having a really not positive experience, let's say with Richard Dawkins and um, that I kind of had a falling out with that movement. So, but that's a good example. I just kind of like saw where things would take me and like saw what I could make of it basically. So. Nice. Yeah. So it, the good thing about that is you're, you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with me in terms of getting things yeah. done. Like, you know, I know how to make stuff, which is, you know, which is, which is yeah. good. Uh, and it's interesting though, you could also see learning a lesson on what you're willing to make and work with, because I feel mm -hmm. like anything creative, it's so easy to get compromised yeah. once money comes into play or another opinion comes into totally. play, uh, which is what I hate mostly. Like I love mm -hmm. film, the ideas of film and screenwriting and things of that yeah. nature. What I hate is the business aspect of it. The fact that someone writes mm -hmm. something and someone comes mm, add mm -hmm. that, tweak that, do that. And then the end product that I see that I may like that creator probably hates it. <laughs> so I feel terrible for them. Like, oh man. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> I remember hearing that about uh, a few movies, but specifically Half Baked mm. uh, with yeah. Dave Chappelle, uh, Neil Brennan, and they wanted to make a darker black oh. comedy. 
I can see that. And it, it, they, you know, the producers and everything came in like, no, we want it goofier. Right. And they hate it. They hated uh-huh. it. And I'm like, that sucks because everyone yeah. loves it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, this isn't what totally. I wanted. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's, oh, that's you know, I, so as much as all this stuff sounds cool, I mean, the problem with what I was doing is I wasn't, I didn't really set out to do any of that for commercial purposes. I was doing it for the art of it, which meant that I got to kind of retain creative control as we're talking about, you know, and kind of um, make the art that I wanted to make to some extent, except with the, the, I mean, the plays, I was working with somebody, but like I was, it was just me and them to make the piece and then a producer potentially, whoops, sorry. And, um, but like, you know, I was kind of doing this stuff, like Cecilia's art was kind of on her terms too. So it wasn't, it wasn't like being affected by the market, so to speak, or by, by outside voices. Um, but the problem with that is it's really risky. And what ended up happening is like, I wasn't doing it from a commercial perspective. And after like trying to pursue these things for two or three years within my kind of like idealism, uh, I ended up really burning out on it because I was not making enough money to really thrive or, or maybe even survive at some point. And I really ended up uh, uh, having kind of an implosion of this first uh, leg of my career, I guess you could say. Um, and they were totally unsustainable after a while. So, um, you know, the value of taking other voices or, or whatever indicates, I think, that you're working with people who like have a vested interest in it, which is probably a good thing for yeah. commercial purposes. Yeah. And in my case, I wasn't really doing that. And that ended up biting me. So... It, it, it's interesting. They'll they'll t- they'll tell you when yeah. it's over. You're like, I, I, I can keep going. I, they're like, right. no, it's done. Right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, otherwise so, you have to decide ahead, yeah. that something is done. I mean, on the flip side of that, and that's right. a really hard decision. So anyway, there's a lot we could talk about there, but yeah. So did did you make happen when you were burning out? Did you just have to say, look, this is when you just started cutting stuff off? Well, I had already finished these pieces, um, and. But I did, I had other film projects that I was starting to surmount, like to take on, um, like I was going to make a documentary about Pastafarianism, for example, um, which is like the church, of the flying spaghetti monster. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, I am not, I'm, I'm literally okay. Googling that for yeah, it's, because I don't, yeah, there we it's go. his noodliness, you know, I mean, it's a tongue in cheek parody of, of religion. It was kind of continuing on my it's like a fake religion basically and it was continuing on my like evangelical atheist quest you know but but um but as i started that project and i i actually filmed another documentary called what love is and i did a first cut of it and screened it to people where i embedded myself in this couple this like romantic this like uh guy and gal these friends of mine's apartment for like a month and a half and just was a fly on the wall like study like observing their relationship basically um I was very interested in learning about love, you know, again. So, and so, but I saw these two projects I was starting and I was like, wait a second, I just learned the hard way that like, I actually need to have a business plan for this. I need to be thinking about this commercially. Cause like these, the previous pass of doing this, I like wasn't cutting it. Like I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I barely had two nickels to rub together. And so uh, I can't just like blindly start out these two new projects without thinking through like the, the commerciality of them. So it gave me pause and I ended up putting the kibosh on those and, and ended up doing like a career pivot actually at that point. Okay. Let's talk that. Let's talk this career pivot, <laughs> um, which it took me a while to realize it wasn't the worst thing. My first mm. venture. I didn't know it was over until it was over. Oh yeah. 
after the fact. So uh, what 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 is it that uh, started signaling to you that it was over? Oh, you said what does that mean? Like it wasn't over till after it was over. It it, it was just like it. I wanted to build a, a fitness networking mm-hmm. app, and it was the fact that like me not being a developer and having to contract develop development mm-hmm. work and. The fact that it's not just about, it's not like a carpenter. You can't just build it, give it to me, and I just like totally. submit it and it's fine forever. You have to maintain yep. it, update yep. it. And it was just realizing the just the depths of coding. You yep. know what I mean? Just with the maintenance of it, all of that. And after a while, you're like, yeah, I can't totally. do this. And then everyone else is like, eh, I don't know if you can do this. <laughs> oh, no, I'll prove you wrong. And the worst part is, of course, the movie side of it. You're like, no, everyone's going to count me out. That's what I'll, that's what I'll do it. You're like, nah, it's just, it's yeah. over. Um, so, um, yeah, what, what, what did you, what did you decide to pivot into? Well, um, you know, I, so I ended up deciding, uh, a buddy of mine was, was running a startup. In, so I was living in Manhattan around this time. I was, um, I moved, well, I didn't mean to move here, but, but, uh, an ex-girlfriend was, my girlfriend at the time was living here in Manhattan. I mean, I'm in Brooklyn now, so I'm saying here, but was living in Manhattan and, um, I'd kind of connected with her in an effort to distribute the mayor because I wanted to get it like qualified for Academy Awards. So for that, you have to get it to screen at a theater in both LA and New York for a week. And um, so I was out here in Manhattan and uh, one of my plays actually played off Broadway also. And, but, you know, kind of that was like the last hurrah. And uh, a buddy of mine was out here and he said, you know, Jared, there's these like coding boot camps that are starting pop to pop up and this was eight years ago and so there's one called Flatiron school and uh he had heard of it because he was running a startup out here in manhattan and uh he said you know and he had taken he was a close friend of mine from growing up and he he had taken a programming class with me in sixth grade (laughs) and um and he's and he was like you know you used to be good at this it's like a pretty lucrative career and it could have the kind of impact you keep talking about that you're wanting to have because i had ultimately felt kind of um, again, I was, I was idealistic and kind of naive. I was young, but, um, I had thought I would have a bigger impact with my films and with the theater and, and, and whatever. And so, uh, and I wanted to, and so I felt kind of a little bitter about that, frankly. And, and I felt like, okay, I think that the way to have impact is going to be by creating interactive, um, dynamic, experiential, transformative art is kind of how I thought about it at the time. And what that means is like, if you imagine a movie or a, 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 a piece of art that like can become personalized to the viewer as they watch it and can, and then have like a sustained relationship with them over time. That was kind of the abstract notion in my head about kind of what I wanted to do around art in order to make it have a bigger impact. And I also saw that technology was the way to scale impact as well. And so, and he was telling me about these boot camps. And so I thought about it long and hard and had to really kind of motivate it because I had had this 15 year identity as a, you know, artist and as like filmmaker, basically. Um, and so the prospect of becoming a software engineer, you know, was pretty intimidating because here I am, I'm like 27 years old. And to make that career shift, um, you know, I hadn't done that type of work professionally. So it was just kind of intimidating. Um, and, but I ended up deciding to do that. So I became... So I applied to a boot camp, these two boot camps in San Francisco, and got into one called Hack Reactor, which was kind of like billed as this really good one. Um, and 
um, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother story in a chapter of my life, but that's what, that's what I ended up doing. I moved to San Francisco and I did this boot camp basically and became a software engineer. Yeah, we definitely got to make a movie, the Jared movie. Uh, we're going to need... There's there so many phases here that we can we can talk I'm about not, forever. Like, I'm the whole skipping film. a lot of details. I mean, like, you know, I'm trying to... <laughs> we only got so much time here, but I mean, you know, it's a whole it's a whole journey, so... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, when you were doing that, how long was that boot camp? Boot camp is three months, uh, and it was okay. an incredible experience. I had the time of my life, but it was scary. It was crazy. It was just an intense, transformative life experience. Uh, I mean, you know, you're jumping into this rocket ship with like, you know, 40 other people who are all looking to like transform their lives, like intentionally. And, uh, you know, for most of them, they were making a career pivots, not, not all of them, but most of them. And so, but you're all like starting from kind of scratch basically. And kind of, so it's very like vulnerable in a way and everybody's kind of humbled in that. Uh, and, and you're all learning this stuff really hands-on and having to partner together to succeed. And learn this totally new paradigm, which was, you know, web engineering. And so it was an incredible experience, but but quite a wild ride at that time. When you're done, do they help you with job resources? Or they, they do. They do. Um, they give you like an accountability buddy and they give you structure and they help match you with potential employers. And uh, at least this is what they did, you know, eight, eight years ago. Um and this was the first year they were in business, by the way. Like I was very early in this in this boot camp thing. Now boot camps are very popular, um, but which, which is cool to see. But um, yeah, and every single person in my cohort had a job within three months that tried, you know, and except for me, and I didn't try. Was the problem? Um, well, okay, I was <laughs> too scared, frankly, and so I ended up going into. <laughs> There's a whole other like sub chapter of my life, but but basically, I ended up. Um, getting really into like the transformational festival scene in San Francisco, um, which is kind of like Burning Man basically. And those types of things uh, for like a year and a half and uh, put off starting my career as a software engineer because of a huge amount of like imposter syndrome and just kind of like fear about surmounting this new chapter in my life um, basically. Uh, but eventually after a year and a half, I kind of faced the music again and hit another rock bottom and kind of, um, called out to a friend I had made who was a uh, software engineer that I had met at this consciousness hacking meetup in San Francisco, my first week there when I was interviewing for Hack Reactor. And he was a lifelong uh, programmer and he had a PhD from MIT in computer science. And he had been programming for like 22 years. And, uh, and I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, you know, um, do you think you might be able to like, could I, could I like, I, could I come an apprentice under you? And like, are you working as a software engineer right now? He said, yeah. And he, so he, he was like a huge angel in my life who, um, and I'm a, I'm, I don't mean like angel investor. Like he was literally like, let me come apprentice under him at his job and even split his pay with me to help me get my software engineering career going and just have me feel like I was doing it in like a safe, like supportive context. So made a huge impact in my life. And and uh, that's how I kind of got my software engineer career started about seven years ago, six years ago. Nice man, shout out to you, my friend. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, his name, uh, his name so, is Greg, for the record. So thank you, Greg. Huge props, Greg. Yeah. You're awesome. You're awesome. Uh, so we got you in, which which must have been great to kind of get your feet wet, get in there. Uh, how long did it take you to 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 feel to not feel like an imposter? Um, 
I still kind of feel like an imposter, you know, and I've been doing it for six years now or something. Um, but I mean, and I programmed when I was a kid and, you know, so it's, it kind of never quite goes away, I would say, because engineering is like always evolving as a field and there's just always stuff you don't know. But it probably took me uh, like probably two and a half years or two years to get to a point where I felt like I could hold it down on my own well enough, basically. Um, you know, I mean, I, I went and worked at a startup in, well, they were actually based out of New York. I worked remotely for a year doing like what's called hyper video. So we like applying machine learning to video editing uh, and video search. Um, kind of imagine a YouTube, but you can like search for segments of videos, right? Like within each video. Um, and then I did that for about a year, uh, and then ne realized I needed more support. And I, so I switched it up and found a job at this company called influx data, which was doing an open source time series database. And it was really there that I began to like blossom as a software engineer and kind of start to feel less imposter syndrome, you know, and, uh, was there for a couple of years and then decided, um, that I was ready for the next level and kind of focus more on kind of my passion and what had gotten me into software. Now that I had the skills and could could kind of have be more choosy about what what job I took, and so I ended up deciding to move to New York and took a job at a company called Paperspace, where I was hired to build a uh, machine learning platform to enable anybody to do to train and deploy machine learning models at any scale. Nice. So not only, you're you're coding coding like this is this is coding. coding. <laughs> I, mean, I was building technical <laughs> tools for engineers. Yeah, for for right. five, like four years there or five years. Yeah, they're, they, they, to me, those are, I always know those companies by if I'm ever looking for new jobs and new careers, the ones I'm not going to apply for. <laughs> like, we're like, we do this for this. And I'm like, I have no idea what any of yeah. these words mean. Good luck to this right. company. Like, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I didn't me. know what I was doing when I joined Influx Data. I mean, it took me a few months to understand what the hell we were even building, to be honest with you. So, I mean, don't let that stop you. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from... You know, being on your uh, own, managing, making films, mm -hmm. pushing those, and then as opposed to working, did you it, can you do well in both? Uh, was it hard for you to be an employee after you'd spent a good portion of your uh, you know uh, young adult years doing yeah. your own thing? Was yeah. it tough? Um, it was. It was. I think the toughest. I, I think in terms of like power dynamics of being an employee versus employer or whatever, or, or kind of business owner. Um, I, in order to kind of make this transition, I had to kind of accept at a deep level that that was going to be the deal. And so I, by the time I like started working, I had already put on the right mentality of like, I'm here to learn and had the humility and wasn't kind of, I, I, I don't want to, I shouldn't claim that too strong, but anyway, I just, my mentality was like, you know, be, be humble, learn, you don't know, you know, you're starting from scratch, just like soak it all up and work with people. Um, so from that perspective, I don't think it was a problem for me. Um, but definitely, I think the part that was challenging is that, you know, I had spent so many years doing like works of passion and art, and like with like creative meaning, I guess you could say not to take anything away from technology. But like, you know, I'm talking about characters and story and, and symbolism and all that. And now I'm doing work that um, like I'm much less adept at and have done for much less time. And, you know, uh, also doesn't have that same kind of like symbolic resonance, I guess. 
um i mean i so so i don't know but it actually really appreciated it i find software engineering people are super collaborative and like very humble generally i mean you'll find people who aren't but for the most part everyone i've encountered has been super humble very much a team player able to communicate willing to support you and help you out and i really loved that collaboration experience uh, it's been like that for me the whole time so I think the people and the culture of it made it pretty easy in that way. Nice. So naturally the bug to get on your uh, back out on your own came eventually. Totally. Is that, is that how now let, let, let's get into pineapple yeah. AF. Yeah. Uh, how does, I don't know what yeah. to say. Yeah. I, don't yeah. Really, yeah, I know what I want to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> how did, so how did that come about? Yeah. So my, so, you know, I was clear with these employers every step of the way that I saw myself forming my own company again someday. And um, so like when I joined Paperspace, I told them before I even accepted the job, like, I don't know how long I'm going to be with you guys. I'm going to start my own company sooner or later. And so like, I'll come work with you for, you know, a year or two, but, and I don't know how things will, will evolve, but like, that's where I see myself heading, you know? Um, And so sure enough, you know, you know, all the while after. So, okay. So let's take a step back. While I was at Influx Data, I worked on this project that I spearheaded that was a security overhaul of our web application where we introduced the concept of role-based access control. So meaning like different users with different levels of permissions to do stuff uh, into our application, which was called Chronograph. And Chronograph was like a visual visualizing time series data. So kind of like imagine you have a, you know, you're 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 a company with it. Now this doesn't matter actually. I can explain this to people if they're interested later. But the point is, I worked on this security project with these two guys in particular, and the three of us became really good friends, and we worked really well together. And um, after I left Influx and I was working at Paperspace, I continued to cultivate those relationships and work on side projects with both of them independently. Um, and I didn't really, uh, with one of them, it was explicitly like, we both wanted to form our own startup one day and maybe between us, you know, we could like create something. And so we just wanted to like work within our relationship and work on anything and see where it took us. And so like, I would work at paper space, you know, more than full time, but then reserve three days a week for like two hours or so each time, uh, one time on the weekends. And then like on a Tuesday, Thursday evening, uh, late at night to work with him on this, on like technology side projects. And then with this other guy, we ended up doing these, um, (laughs) he was a designer and kind of a creative guy. And so uh, we ended up doing these pineapple pop-ups, which was like pineapple themed pop-up restaurants basically. Um, And we went to Hawaii on like a pineapple pilgrimage. And like the pineapple thing is a whole story that would be in a whole nother podcast episode, but, but suffice to say it's, the pineapple for me represents like um, taking like taking something I'm passionate about and that is also ridiculous in a self-aware way and like doing it in having a healthy relationship to it. Because um, like when I first discovered pineapple, it, it almost killed me when I started eating a bunch of it when I was young. And so uh, I had to learn to have a responsible, healthy relationship to pineapple. And so this guy kind of was into like being ridiculous about pineapple with me. So between the two of them, I was probably putting in like, I don't know, 10 hours a week or so on average into these side projects. And um, with this vision of forming my own company eventually, 
And then after about a year or so, year and a half of being a paper space, the, the bug really started, as you use the word, the bug really started to kind of like eat me stronger and stronger. And I was like, okay, I feel like I've got the skills. I've now actually done product management somewhat at paper space, helping release this like free public notebooks product. Um, and I've built this whole platform and I just have much more perspective on like business of technology. And so, um, I went and did a uh, product school actually, which is like a product management bootcamp. And, um, and I learned a ton about product management thinking and kind of the intention was I'm probably going to form my own company. And by this point uh, I had found this set of other products and kind of brought them to my technological co collaborator from Influx. And, um, we said, wow, yeah, this is kind of, there's something in here that we think we want to build and that aligns with both of what we want to create and kind of what we've been doing together. I think we're ready to form a company. And uh, so we both made the leap uh, after like a, a probably about two years of like working on this, like moonlighting, I guess you could say, building out these uh, side hustles into what became our actual company, Pineapple AF. I, uh, this is why I hate developers, uh, people like you. It's <laughs> so frustrating because I feel like everyone who's that developer, they have this, we all have these zany ideas yeah. without any thought into how it's actually going right. to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like oh, we get this new app where you use it to like find people anywhere in the world in like two seconds. Yeah. And yeah. Like, it's always just crazy yeah. stuff. How does it make money? Yeah. I don't know. Whereas every, all, like 99% developers I yeah. know, they know development. Yeah. So the majority of their tools are either about development tools or just they, we know the process. We know what we're trying to achieve mm -hmm. here. We know what's mm -hmm. into it. So let's just work together and come mm -hmm. with it. And I swear to you, it always works yeah. well. <laughs> like, oh, you're just like, damn, I wish my brain worked <laughs> like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, Engineering is a learnable skill. And uh, I sincerely encourage anyone who's listening um, to to try out some courses in it. You know, and like freecodecamp.org is a great resource to like find a community to learn some coding for free. And like, it's a, it pays off dividends over time for sure. So let's go, let's, let's describe the company. What is, you know, I see the tagline tools for people that have healthy relationships. How does it work? Yeah. So pineapple AF is, um, okay. So, I mean, we're still in stealth technically, so uh, I can share more about like kind of the inspiration and the problem we're thinking about. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So like, um, so yeah. So the mission of Pineapple AF is to create tools for people to have healthy relationships. And basically, uh, have you seen Social Dilemma? The Social Dilemma or uh, heard of it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen like two seconds. I'm like, I'm just going to get yeah. depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the social, I haven't seen it either, but everybody tells me about it. And I know the basic concept, I guess I could say without sounding too arrogant, which is basically just, you know, we've got these major companies, which are Facebook and Google and, you know, Instagram being a subsidiary of Facebook, I guess, or at least one of their products, um, you know, and like, we are all beholden to their, uh, to being exploited by them for all of our data. And we are the product. And um, that's a dismal reality that we're all living in. And so um, I feel that pain. I feel exploited by those companies. And uh, I am a user of their products. Um, and I look at, you know, as we're approaching the 2020 election, and I'm kind of looking and feeling the 
um, you know, everything that seems to be like boiling up and boiling over in our society, it all felt interrelated. And I felt like basically our social media platforms and our media platforms were incentivized because of their business models to, uh, to exploit us, put it, to put it simply. And, um, and I felt like that was leading to these divergent realities that we have on the ground here in the United States, um, of, you know, people who believe different truths about what is happening in the world, you know, whether it's COVID or the, or the election results or, or whatever. And like, I'm not taking any sides, but like, that's a problem. And I think that part of what is driving that is the structures and shapes of the platforms we use to communicate, namely Facebook, Twitter, and media sources. Um, you know, they have an incentive to uh, capture your attention for as long as possible, and they will do it at any cost in order to drive their advertising revenue dollars and subscription dollars. And so this is a huge problem for society, and um, we're all being affected by it. So that's all like I think real stuff and and but pretty like grandiose thinking. But basically, to be honest, I got to this point in my career and I said, I feel like I have the skills and I've created the products that I feel like I could do something about this problem. And I think there's a huge problem that we're all being affected by. And, you know, the pineapple vibe is all about generosity and ridiculousness and having a sense of humor. And like for me, it's about bringing together different points of view in a constructive, playful way and and like productive way, you know, because if you look at a pineapple, you've got this crown and you've got the body and they just look totally different from each other. And yet somehow they come together to form this a delicious fruit in the middle that is surprising in all kinds of ways. Um, and so, um, you know, trying to kind of cover a lot of ground here, but basically my co-founder and I said, I think we can build something that shows a different future, a different path forward of how like people can communicate and how we can relate to each other that will actually foster constructive, healthy relationships across society starting with between individuals rather than the current structures and technologies we use today, which are exploitative by nature. I like it. I, I yeah, I'm interested in see it's uh, first of all, pineapples, pineapples are weird for me. Like <laughs> I, there's times I either hate it or yeah. I love it. It's the best raw fruit. It's my favorite okay. raw fruit. Okay. Like sliced pineapple. I'll get from whole foods, whole foods. I can eat like, a bunch yeah, of totally. but like, Pineapple with other food, I hate it. It's weird. <laughs> so wait, so wait, so pineapple on pizza. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. <laughs> See, this is the this but is the like... beautiful thing about pineapple is that it is a divisive fruit in a funny way, and so like people either love it or hate it, and people have strong opinions about pineapple on pizza. But like at the end of the day, it's a pineapple, right? And like so, we can all like have a laugh about it, basically. Um, no, I, I, I love pineapple on pizza personally, but I, I respect anybody who doesn't like it on their pizza and they're okay with me too. Um, but nice. it's, it, yeah, I think it, I think the kind of spirit of what we're doing is there's a lot of, um, divergence and disharmony and destructive, destructive kind of, um, communication happening out there, whether that's through canceling, you know, I mean, basically, you on these current social media platforms, you're talking in public, and the entire—if you say one thing wrong, the entire world is going to destroy you. 
Mm-hmm. And like, that's a problem. How can you have nuanced points of view and how can you demonstrate learning and growth and how can you like just be an authentic human when that's liable to happen with anything you say? And so all it does is drive polarization. And we believe that there's a different way forward and we believe we're capable of creating technology that can support that different way. Nice, man. This is a, this is good. Sound like it, it, it's just this, there's so much, we definitely have to have you come back because <laughs> there's, there's so much more, so much we can talk about in sure. this realm. Um, how are you feeling about entrepreneurship this time around, as opposed to when you're uh, working on the mayor? Yeah. What's your- so this time is a whole new ball game. Um, I mean, I've definitely learned a ton. Um, I, you know, I took stock of all those experiences and I've had many failed and ventures and partnerships and relationships in my life. And so I just kind of took stock of all that stuff and whatever failed means, but failed can mean all kinds of stuff. That doesn't mean it was bad, but it's just all kinds of learning experiences. And, um, the, like even just from a business structure perspective, for example, like I went and just formed an LLC through LegalZoom back 10 years, 15 years ago, right? This time around, I like talked to a lawyer for a number of months about what type of corporate structure I wanted and why, and ended up deciding, for example, to form a public benefit corporation and got very clear and gained conviction about that decision before doing it um, and talked with my co-founder about that as well at great lengths. So even from the very basic thing of like what business structure to use. I've taken a lot more time and done a ton more diligence. Um, And then, you know, I've thought a lot about like, well, what is important and critical inside of a uh, commercial partnership uh, and business partnership in order to be, to set us up for success. So, you know, whereas in my previous ventures, right, like if both partners just immediately own the company outright, then if you like have disagreement, there's nothing kind of keeping you driving towards alignment. There's not a real incentive to like keep working together necessarily, except unless you just both love the product itself somehow. So we said, okay, well, yeah, we're going to go with like the public benefit corporation because it provides equity, right? Like just like it's it's basically the same as a C corporation, except with an expanded definition of fiduciary duty, um, where you are, uh, your fiduciary duty is that you are also responsible to all stakeholders, not just your shareholders. So you're not just uh, beholden to the maximization of profit. You're also beholden in addition to profit to your mission. And so our mission is to create tools for people to have healthy relationships, but then you get everything that a C corporation has. So equity and we're vesting over a certain period of time and that should keep us aligned and both working towards this this common goal. Um, So anyway, that's some detail, but all that is to say, like I've taken way more time and done way more diligence and had much more exhaustive conversations because I learned the hard way what the consequences were of not doing it the first time around. And I really want to set us up for success. And so I've really pulled in a lot of resources. We have an amazing lawyer. We have a great accountant. You know, we've got bookkeeping help. We've got each other. We've got a designer. We've got advisors. And we have a clear vision for where we're heading. We've got a clear mission. We've talked a ton about values. And we took a long time to come to that mission, right? Like all these things we've really invested time into very thoughtfully and consider considerately. And that I think, I hope is going to pay off, but it's just, I'm taking a lot more time to like do, like do my diligence and do things a, a good way. That's going to set us up for success and have a really strong foundation long-term here. Nice. I, 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 outside of that, do you have any other advice 
that, that sounded like sound advice, right? basically learning from your mistakes. But is there anything else that you'd want someone who's in the same position as you, someone maybe currently a business owner or someone kind of waffling on the decision? Yeah. Anything do you think would be helpful? Well, you know, I think first of all, um, you know, every, every personality is different and it depends what you're trying to accomplish in the world. You know, me and my co-founder had to be and this is probably advice listeners have heard before, but like we had, you had to be, you have to be very clear. Like, are you trying to build a small business? Are you trying to build a lifestyle business? Are you trying to build a business that can have global scale and impact? And you need to make sure that both I was felt that it was important, critical, actually, not just important, critical, vital to make sure that me and my partner were aligned about what our vision was for this company and what we wanted to do in the world. Um, so that's a huge one, you know, and then cultivating that relationship with my co-founder, his name is Michael. We've, we've known each other for four and a half years and we've worked together and like really did a ton of side projects and spent a bunch of time like learning and feeling each other out and really coming to trust each other um, and forging a really strong relationship before jumping into this, you know, um, I think I made more hasty decisions the last time around. So, you know, it's kind of like these fundamental foundational things, you know, you can get really excited because you have a great idea for a business and you can just jump right into it. But I think my, my, you know, I, I'm not, I can't speak from the experience of, I can't sit here and tell you, Joel, like, okay, we've been super successful. We've sold X, Y, and Z and we're worth this much money. I mean, you know, we're still in stealth. So it's like, I can't say that those things, but my belief based on what I've seen in my life in other areas is that by really taking the time and I know I'm kind of repeating myself here, but really taking the time to make all these types of fundamental decisions and make sure these relationships to each other and to the business and to the state, even and to the government <laughs> and to society are clear. And you've talked it all through are going to give us a really strong framework and foundation uh, and clarity of how to build out products that actually deliver on our mission over time. Um, so I think just like, like having whatever conversations you need and having the hard conversations and making sure you kind of get it all out there and like take the time to have those conversations multiple times and over time. Um, will I mean, I, I believe that that's going to, that has, that that has given us a strong foundation to operate from for a long time to come. That's probably the biggest thing. Nice. Well, Jared, I, I appreciate this. It's, uh, you've, you have done a lot. You've, uh, the one you've been to a lot of places mm -hmm. and like the, like the hardest cities to be in, <laughs> like the most fun, but like the, also the most competitive mm -hmm. places ever. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but this, this has been cool because it's just kind of just, you just kind of, you know, like a Rolling Stone, you were out there, man. You seen where the world took you. And it's, it's good to see that, you know, people can be open to pivoting finding new things that probably they didn't think they would like. And then also reaching out to people and finding help where you can get it. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for pineapple, man. I, 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 when do you think stealth you'll be out of stealth? So I think, I think even possibly tomorrow, <laughs> I mean, like I hate giving a timeline as like a product manager, let's say, but, uh, yeah. but like I wrote like 2000 lines of code last week and, uh, my co-founder has written so much more than me to bring us to this moment where we we've been in alpha. We have a number of users we've been working with for months here. Okay. And we've built all kinds of technology and covered all kinds of ground. Um, and we've learned an enormous amount 
And so, you know, we've, we've kind of, you know, so all of this is to say, like, we have gotten to a point where everything we've learned is kind of coming to fruition, um, let's say, pineapple fruition. Um, in the, like, within the next few days, we will have something that is meant and designed to be able to be used independently of us and be useful in people's lives. Um, and that's a really exciting moment for us. So, I mean, you know, um, I don't know exactly when the stealth label comes off. You know, we want to be careful because we are being uh, competitive with, you know, some major, I think, social media type companies over time. Uh, and, you know, they have so much engineering resources that we just have to be careful about what we're doing uh, in, in, in reality. But, um, you know, we're we are like within the week uh, going to be releasing something that is meant to be able to gain traction on its own. And that's very exciting. I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, can't wait. I can't wait. If there's any way we can, the Moonlight Club can help, we're going to help. Thanks, Joe. So, and I want to say uh, real quick, right. sorry, real quick, that even though I'm still doing this, I still have a, I'm still moonlighting on something else, um, which is that I have a furniture uh, like brand that I'm developing on the side. So that's my like main side hustle right now is a furniture company, basically. It's not officially a company yet, but it's a brand. Um, so the, the, mo the moonlighting never continues and I get a ton of creative energy out of doing it. So, um, you know, it hasn't reached the end of the line there. Nice. Well, before we head out, is there anything you want to, uh, uh, share with the audience in terms of contact info, anything they can look out for now? Yeah. I mean, soon, uh, like I said, within a week ish, um, maybe tomorrow, but within a week. Um, you can, well, actually right now you can go to pineapple.af. That's our website, pineapple.af, uh, no.com, just .af. And, um, you can try out an initial experience, uh, that we have up there. And then over the next week or so that experience will morph into, uh, the thing that I was just mentioning that we're releasing shortly. So if, and, and it is, it is geared around communication. So through that, you would be able to communicate with me. So if anybody's interested, they can certainly go try out a taste of the pineapple experience at pineapple.af. Um, and I would love to get your feedback of any kind. Um, you know, we're early days. We're iterating rapidly. We're, we got our eyes open, our ears open to the ground, and uh, we're learning a ton. So I'd love to hear from, you know, soon, soon we'll be like probably moving into, well, we will be moving into like investment fundraising mode. Um, but, you know, so if you're interested, if anything I said struck a chord, just reach out pineapple.af. If you're interested in seeing a different paradigm um, that will emerge over the next year or two about like a more constructive, healthier way to relate to each other through digital technology, um, please come check us out. And uh, I'd love to hear from you and connect with you. Pineapple.af. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you. Uh, this was this was good. This was really good. And it was really cool just to hear this. And I'm excited to see, uh, see what happens. Joel, thank uh, you. So for everyone listening, yeah. oh, of course, of course. Thanks for doing this. This is cool. Um, for everyone listening, Moonlighters Club, uh, the, you will, uh, you can find our website. All of our content will be there at moonlightersclub.com in the process of uploading everything there. Uh, if you're listening to this, you already know where to find us. So I don't have to go through that, but, uh, we have plenty of interviews coming 
down the pipeline. Uh, if you're interested in being interviewed yourself or know someone, feel free to reach out to us, Joel at, Moonlight, Joel at MoonlightersClub.com. We'd love to hear your story or to just hear more stories. Um, so, Jared, again, thank, thank you. you uh, I'm super pumped about Pineapple AF um, uh, and the furniture. I got to get some furniture too, man. So <laughs> yes. I, I want to see both. Bismuth NYC <laughs> is the name of that one. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, until next time, everyone, we'll see you. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, everybody.